0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold (laughs) to drink. Y'all want to you know it. Let it rip, let it rip, let's go Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel We are so excited yet again to be with you guys I'm joined tonight by the constant co-host, Doug Bowman Doug, how are we today?
1: Constant co-host, I like that a little bit Uh, We're good, living the dream Coronavirus 2020 Just thankful for a little, an hour of distraction here So we can talk about some things that are happening
0: Absolutely. Well, let's jump right into it. We can talk about a lot of the commitments that came to Virginia Tech in both basketball and football over the past two weeks. One of the more recent ones, Cordell Pimsel, a graduate transfer from Iowa, six foot nine, 248 pounds. Size is coming to Virginia Tech. It hasn't always been there, but now there's three bigs P.J. Horn is
1: finally looking up. (laughs) He is. He's got a new spot in the team
0: photo, I guess. (laughs) So Cordell Pimsel, kind of a shocking transfer to Virginia Tech, if I have to be honest. Virginia Tech was reaching out to a lot of these guys in the transfer portal. Uh, A lot of big-name players. Cartier Diara came to Virginia Tech two weeks ago, announced his commitment, but Cordell Pimsel, maybe not on the minds of a lot of fans out there in college basketball. What can you tell us about him?
1: Yeah, he's an experienced guy, 6'9", obviously graduate transfer. He's, he's bringing that, that, that height and that depth that, that clearly Mike Young wanted to get taller, um, both at the power forward position and the center position. Um, Virginia Tech hasn't had the kind of height that they will have next year in quite some time. um, looking at you, two years ago, now Gary Blackshear being the tallest guy on the team and, and then PJ Horn right after him. And then last year, John Ojiaco obviously is there, but not ready to play. So PJ Horn plays most of the time at the five. Um, clearly Mike Young was tired of that um, and not too keen on continuing in that. So, um, gets Pimzel teaming with Ojiako Kive Luma. Um, you're starting to see some depth there on the front court. I don't think this is a team. I don't think any of these guys, you know, Ojiako has got a bright future, but I don't think any of these guys are going to be like the anchors of the team next year It's still going to be a guard heavy team that where the big guys are, you know, defense and rebounding and probably some dunks. I don't think they're going to run many plays for these guys, but, um, I think it's clear that Mike Young was really looking to get size um, on the interior so that they could compete, um, you know, with that upper level of ACC.
0: The one thing I really like about him is that he has a lot of raw talent uh, and playing at a school like Iowa, traditionally one of the better programs in college basketball, unfortunately suffered a lot of injuries throughout high school, throughout his college career and kind of got buried on the depth chart at Iowa, struggled to see regular minutes you know, for Mike Young, getting a guy like this, it's, it's kind of like the Brandon Johnson transfer. Just you're taking a risk on a big man. Obviously, Brandon Johnson didn't play too much last year coming over from Alabama State. But, you know, if it works out, all of a sudden you have some depth in that front court. You have a guy that has that raw ability and can get it done. And, you know, previously, Iowa and Virginia Tech played in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, And Pinzel, when healthy, had six points, 14 rebounds, and six assists, like a very solid stat line for only playing in 21 minutes in that game. So you clearly can see the upside with him. It's just a matter of staying healthy and trying to figure out what type of role he'll play.
1: Yeah, his stats at Iowa this year weren't that great, but he also didn't play that much, Um, didn't have that big of a role. So he doesn't need to be, you know, a, a major contributor. You think about tech's obviously got a hole at the four in the five at the four spot with Nolly gone. gone, um, but Oluma Luma, will take up, we'll get some significant minutes. Ojiaka. will see his minutes increase next year. PJ Horn is still going to get minutes. So you're not looking at a guy who's coming into playing 30, 35 minutes a night. He's going to play 15, 20 minutes max a night and f- you know, I I think you could probably look at Pimsel and Aluma, and even you could probably look at them all and say that they're all going to pretty much do the same things and not really blow you off the court with athleticism or anything like that. But um, certainly gives them the depth to whether uh, whether foul trouble or, you know, if Duke or Louisville or UNC comes in you know, you can compete with that kind of height on the inside, which Virginia Tech just hasn't been able to do for for, for years and years. Um, so I think it's a good addition, and, you know, it kind of sets the roster. Um, you know, I, I know they're one scholarship over at this point, but you kind of see, see the pieces coming together where this is going to go.
0: Yeah, and that's another topic I do want to bring up. Virginia Tech is now at 14 scholarships for those unaware you're only allowed to carry 13 scholarships into every season this means that someone has to go
1: yeah and i don't want to speculate (laughs) on who it might be um and also i don't even know if i mean at this point everything's so up in the air we don't know if that decision has to be made right now necessarily considering who knows what the ncaa is going to do with their rules or whatever going forward but um I think it's interesting to see Mike Young making these making these changes with a full with a full roster already. Um, I don't think you do this kind of stuff if you're content with developing the program on like a three to four year trajectory. I think you're if you're forcing guys out like they did with Wilkins to add Diara or what will likely happen here to add Pimsel— like you're expecting to win right away if you're if you're adding guys like this, so um, I think that's a good sign for next year. But it's uh, interesting nonetheless.
0: Yeah, and I'll just say it's unfair for us to speculate. Obviously, it's up to the player, up to the coaches to release that whenever they're ready. Um, of course, you can be expecting that. But let's transition over to football, but stick with some graduate transfers. Big time is the season. Tis the season for some <laughs> big-time transfers. Justice Reed, one of the top available defensive ends on the free agent market. Just kidding. NCAA transfer portal. <laughs> he's coming over from Youngstown State. Started his career at the University of Florida. Was a four-star for many sites. I think he was a high three-star for 24-7 sports. But he's a guy that had 12.5 sacks last year kind of relating to Pimsel, derailed a little bit by injuries, but finally came into his own last year, and a lot of programs were on him. Virginia Tech ultimately wins out over Florida State, which was shocking just because he's a Florida kid. But what does, what does Justice Reed bring to the table if there is a season to be played in 2020?
1: Yeah, it's a big get for Tech when you're talking about defensive end being such a position of need for them. Um if you look back at the last the last few years and even at the rest of the defense projected for this year where, you know, you, you feel pretty comfortable with tech at defensive tackle and linebacker in the secondary, but, you know, defensive end going back to pretty much since Kenny Gannon left, they've you know, they've had issues there. Um, so you're talking about Taiwan Garbett, Emmanuel Belmar, and then Whole lot of question marks. That's why they brought in three defensive ends last year in the recruiting class, um, and now you basically add a, a day one potential starter. I think he's going to compete with. I think a lot of people presume that he's going to compete with Emmanuel Belmar mostly, but you know I think Garbit is, you know probably. I mean I don't I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Belmar and Reed could be the starters, or Reed and Garbit or anything like that. So um, big get for them. You talked about 12 sacks, 19 and a half tackles for loss last year. Um, Virginia Tech hasn't had that production from the defensive end spot in, in in years. And I think clearly being a sixth year senior playing in the FCS as a guy coming from Florida probably helped a lot. Um, But I think, I think this is clearly an upgrade from, from what it was before and for what for what virginia tech needs to do in 2020 or whenever this next season whatever it is i mean that's this is this is adding you know a, a four or five star guy that can come in and contribute from what from day one basically um played at florida played at youngstown state at you know bo pulini was the coach at youngstown state who's now the lsu defensive coordinator so clearly he received some great coaching and um, Bill Tierling, Daryl Tapp, another another project for them um, to get on board with. And, you know, at 270 pounds, 100% the biggest defensive end Virginia Tech has had in years. And we've talked since since they made a decision to move on from Charlie Wiles about how they want to get bigger up front at the defensive line. And, and Reed certainly fits that.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited for multiple reasons. The first being six foot three, 270 pounds. The last big guy to play defensive end for Virginia Tech was Vinny Mahota, who really didn't have the speed to play end and was kind of just there to stop the run on the edge. So having a guy that's versatile, like you mentioned, really good coaching, Bo Polini wanted to go there and play under one of the best defensive minds in college football. A guy that produced last year was finally healthy. And most importantly, I mean, you look at the production from the defensive ends, it just wasn't there for as good or bad as you want to make out the 2019 Virginia Tech defense. Their leading sack guy was Chamari Connor, who was a defensive back. So finally getting someone in there, I'm not saying he's going to have 12 and a half sacks or whatever, but a guy that can bring pressure on third down could be the difference in the result of a game. And You think about Bill Tierlink, Daryl Tapp. They need a guy to point to to say our NFL experience results in getting guys to the next level. I truly believe that Justice Reed at this point in his career just needs one solid season. And he's likely an NFL draft pick, maybe not a first or second rounder, but he's a guy that a lot of NFL teams will look at simply because his measurables are already that of a guy like Bradley Chubb and he has that NFL size he has the speed he has the ability now just putting it all together with an ACC program at the I think he can be a very very good piece for Virginia Tech and honestly you know with the Quincy Roche ordeal you know he was 1A Justice Reed is is 1B here and I think he'll be an instant upgrade on the defensive line
1: yeah, I think when you look at positions, Virginia Tech could have added an immediate contributor this year. It was clearly defensive end, um, maybe after Damon Hazleton um, left. They well, they were looking at a couple wide receivers there, but um, clearly defensive end was the one spot they wanted an immediate upgrade. Missed out on Roche. Add Reed, I don't think you can argue with the production he had, he had last year in terms of being... If you're trying to upgrade that, I mean, I mean, Roche was a guy at Temple, too. So, I mean, I don't think there's – Youngstown State is a really, really good program. I don't think – you know, I, I think if you put Youngstown State and Temple on the field together, it's probably a close matchup. But, um, yeah, just a big get, and I think you, you, you touched on the, the tier link and tap factor. of if, if, if this can be their first – I think he clearly will be hurt by his age in terms of his draft stock. For sure. Um, you know, you're going to be people drafting a 24, 25-year-old versus a 21-year-old junior. Um, but just to, as far as filling a hole on this next year's immediate team, I think that's huge and um, takes take some pressure off guys like JVM Beckton, Eli Adams, Jalen Griffin, as far as what they were going to be counted on to do next year.
0: Yeah, and the last thing I'll say – you look at a guy like Garbutt or Emmanuel Belmar, and they clearly have measurables. They clearly have ability. But I think at the end of the day, when you're a defensive end, it's all about production. And if you get a proven commodity, it is totally an upgrade no matter what. And so, and you think
1: about new defensive coordinator Justin Hamilton, new defensive line coach Bill Tierlink, who is known for his pass-rushing coaching ability and I think you know I'll be curious Virginia Tech knows that they need to get more pressure with the front four is there a future lineup out there that where Justin Reed is playing Justice Reed I'm gonna mess that up so many times (laughs) Justice Reed um is playing one defensive end and then like Amari Barno is playing the other defensive end spot now that's your you know third and long third and long um Lineup. I think you know this is just another piece of the puzzle for Justin Hamilton.
0: And sticking with the defensive line, unfortunately, this came. This news came out right after we recorded the last podcast. But Tyus Martin, a three-star defensive tackle recruit out of Arkansas, decided. go. <laughs> decided <laughs> to spurn Arkansas and join Virginia Tech. Six foot three, three hundred eighteen pounds. Rising senior in high school, he already has the size. He has an impressive offer list, and now wants to join TNT. Yeah,
1: I, I, you know any defensive tackle that's six three, three hundred eighteen pounds is going to have his pick of scholarship offers. Um, a solid pickup. I mean, three stars defensive tackles kind of go. One way or the other, you don't really, I mean, it's hard to project any recruit, um, but certainly seems like a solid pickup, more size on the defensive line. You know, you go from landing guys the size of, you no know, disrespect to Nurel Pollard and Mario Kendricks, but to landing a guy who's already 320 pounds, um, I think he fits exactly what he feels the need for a Virginia Tech's 2023 team, basically, if you look at the roster, Virginia Tech has to do it. She's a defensive tackle this year. Provided Pollard and Kendricks develop as expected, they won't have issues there next year. You guys still got Josh Fuga, um, Darrell Bailey, those guys, but this is a position of need as far as projecting down the road where he can come in at 320 pounds, probably not all muscle and good weight kind of situation and not be forced into action before he's ready give give ben hilgart the opportunity to work with them and by the time by the time overall opens up for him in that too deep he'll be he'll be ready so another good pickup i mean um and to, and to get him out of arkansas i mean that's I know Arkansas is not very good, but that is SEC country right next to Texas. All those, that, all those programs. Um, I think it's a, you know, a, another example of Virginia Tech searching wide and far for more size on the defensive line.
0: Yeah, and what I really like about him, Ben Hilgert and Charlie Wiles. I bet they would used to have conversations about getting these 240-pound defensive line prospects and adding 60 pounds to them. But now they're at playing weight already, and it's about just adjusting them, tweaking them slightly. So having a guy that already is able to produce what he is, the coaches see what they like at that weight currently, you're not taking as much of a gamble and saying, okay, we need this guy to put on 60 pounds. We like what he's doing. We can refine a few things and then make him fit our system. Yeah, I think
1: Hilgard would be much happier that he'll, pro- <laughs> he'll probably just dust off the uh, the Tim Settle uh, workout plan that, I mean, he came into tech at like something like 360 and it got down to his like 320 playing weight. Not as extreme a case here. This, I mean, he's probably just got to lose a little bit of weight and tack it all back on with muscle and he'll have the time to do that. So, um you look at what Virginia tech needs in this class at defensive tackle is one of those positions where they look great now and it's a full, full boat now at defensive tackle. But, you know, if you look a year or two down the road, I mean, <laughs> certainly nobody wants Virginia tech to go back to where they were at the defensive tackle position two years ago or something like that. So um they have to recruit that position. Well, over the next, this class and probably the next class as well.
0: When the time comes when Tyus Martin steps foot on campus, maybe restrict his access to West End dining hall because that was a quick <laughs> 15 pounds for me freshman year. So
1: You got to avoid <laughs> the Cajun cream pasta from the pasta place and probably the London broil with the mashed potatoes and mushroom gravy.
0: I certainly did not avoid those <laughs> my entire career, but luckily I'm not a football player. Sticking on to the prospects for football, we were supposed to have this great story for tomorrow or today as you're listening to this. Philip Riley, a four-star defensive back out of Florida, who has eight crystal ball projections to Virginia Tech. This guy is one of the best cornerbacks in the country, has 40 offers total, which is insane, was supposed to announce a commitment on his birthday, full transparency, we were told that was going to be Virginia Tech. He has now delayed his commitment. We don't know when he's going to announce next, but he's receiving a lot of interest from other programs. I know there's some questions that we're going to go to in a little bit uh, regarding Philip Riley. Uh, however, you know he has never visited Blacksburg once, uh, and this was kind of the Neville thing where you're trusting in the coaching staff under the current situation, joining the movement, locking down a spot, um, but had some pressure around him to wait it out, visit other schools on the West Coast. Uh, So we'll see how this one turns out. I will say Virginia Tech is at the top of his list right now, uh, and maybe it still lands in Virginia Tech's favor.
1: At at a normal recruiting year, this could be... A little concerning but you know this is a situation that's i mean he touched on and he's never visited virginia tech he probably hasn't visited many places i don't think it's surprising that somebody would be like you know hold 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 up uh you know you're going to be spending three to four years here at these schools let's wait until we um wait until we figure this thing out so you know some people like Latrell Neville will probably be fine with it and go ahead and pull the trigger. And then some people will pull back and be like, okay, going to wait a little bit, but um, I don't think, I think Virginia Tech's clearly done a really good job recruiting him and he's a big target for him. And, um, you know, he's a, just like defensive tackle, looking down the road, defensive back is as, equally as big a need there. And he's a t- big talent from there. So, um, you know, I just think, like this, in in this environment where like no visits are happening and nobody knows what is going on at all, it's not surprising that some people are gonna, you know, get close to a decision and then be like, maybe not ready to decide right. yet. So, I mean, which is, I mean, I don't, I don't think this means Virgin Tech's eliminated by any stretch of the imagination. Um, just kind of the weird times where like you have got some guys deciding without visiting and some guys aren't comfortable with that. And that's fine.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously a a bunch of fans will react to it and say, Oh no, he's thinking elsewhere. This is not bad news by any means. Obviously every fan would like to see him commit tomorrow on his birthday. Virginia tech would love that. Um, but I think it speaks to how well they're recruiting him. If he was even considering, uh, committing to a program he's never been to that he trusts the coaching staff that much. So I think building a relationship and actually having him come on to campus, see a football game in person will only strengthen that relationship. And that's going to be tough to beat in the long run.
1: Yeah. You think about like (laughs) you think about his, his other finalists, Oregon and Washington. He's hasn't visited those places either. As far as I know. And, He's not, as as long as he's not can't visit Virginia Tech, he's also not going to Oregon or Washington. So, you know, if this all gets sorted out, Virginia Tech will get their shot to get him on campus during a game. You assume it'd probably be the Penn State game, which is a pretty good visit weekend for Virginia Tech. I mean, um, I don't think, you know, it's not like him not going to Virginia Tech is going to have him, he's not going to show up at Oregon next weekend and, and be like, oh, well, that's what's happening. Like, everything's... All visits are frozen. There's nothing he can do to get more comfortable with any school that he's not already doing. So, you know, if things get started back up to normal, then Virginia Tech will have their shot, and they've already, like you said, kind of laid the groundwork for, for closing the deal.
0: And I think if ultimately that day comes when he decides he wants to become a Virginia Tech Hokie, it's going to be a big day. I I don't have... You know, former defensive back commits uh, handy to me right now, but I'm just thinking back and I can't recall uh, in the past three or four years, a four star cornerback committing to Virginia Tech. I'm thinking Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller, who are playing now, you know, Caleb Farley was a wide receiver uh, coming out of high school and Jermaine Waller was a mid three star uh, you think back to guys like Greg Stroman, low three star, Adonis Alexander, another one that was, you know, low three star. And then Brandon Faison, uh mid three star. So bringing in a guy that's a four star guy, established guy within the recruiting rankings, I think could be a huge benefit to Virginia Tech.
1: I think the last four stars, probably Jeremy Webb, who was obviously a Juco. Um, before him, could probably draw the Florida comparison. J. Ron Hosley was a four star, I believe. There was Khalil Ladler, but he had, was coming off a torn ACL. J. Ron Hosley, Kendall he, Fuller was a five. So Fuller is the last like legitimate like big time prospect. Hosley was big time, but he committed very very late. Virginia Tech got in there very, very late and flipped him from I think South Florida. But as far as forty other programs recruiting him, I think Kendall Fuller was the last like big time prospect um where at defensive back where Virginia Tech went toe to toe with somebody and got him.
0: Switching over to hopefully next season. Optimism, optimism, that's all we need. I'm blindly optimistic that football will be played next season and all my hopes rest on it but i'm a huge metrics guy and the fpi football power index from espn came out the other day and they really really like virginia tech espn's fpi projections has virginia tech finishing 10 and 2 if you count their odds per game
1: that sounds realistic to me um Sounds like fair expectations. You know, I think nine and three is probably the bottom of what you would consider a good year next year. It is a tougher schedule. I mean, you're playing Pitt, Penn State, UVA, Miami at home, UNC, Louisville, Pitt on the road. Those are kind of your six core games there that are going to be, um, they're going to be big games on the schedule. But you know, nine and three being the bottom of I think what people would be at least <laughs> at, le- at least theoretically happy with um, 10 and 2, I think is definitely kind of the, the like, this is that's realistically, that's the ceiling for this team. 11 and 1, 12 and 0. Not, this is a very, very difficult thing to do 10 and 2. Um, you figure if they're 10 and 2, they're playing in the ACC championship probably. So it sounds about right given what they're bringing back and. Um, but it ain't going to be easy considering what the schedule looks like.
0: Yeah. And I'm just looking through the schedule right now. And the most interesting thing about it, I mean, you think about Penn State, it's very one-sided towards Penn State at the moment. Virginia Tech has a 28.6% chance to win that game, according to the FBI. The only other loss is Louisville at Louisville, which is on Halloween night, uh, which is 43%, which is still very, very close The only other really, really close game for the 12 games on the schedule is North Carolina at 52.6% favored for Virginia Tech. So if you're thinking, okay, you give one up to Penn State, you have two critical swing games in Louisville and North Carolina – I mean, every other game, according to the FBI, is pretty in favor of Virginia Tech. I'm just looking at it. Everything is above 72% right now. Of course, that will change as the season goes along. The the matrix starts adjusting to who's good and who's not. But it looks really, really promising for Virginia Tech right now. (laughs) What is the Miami game? That one is the weird one. 83.8% win probability for Virginia Tech
1: must they, they must think uh who's the quarterback they got der King they must think he's terrible um, that's interesting but I, mean, I' it is at Lane Stadium and um I'd certainly don't think <laughs> I don't think the uh I don't know how they factor their, these analytics in but uh the old culture analytic there after the ball game certainly didn't seem to be too strong so uh that's really interesting that it's that high.
0: So, I'm just looking at Miami's FPI right now. They're slated at a six and six season for next year, the wow. 58th overall team. Yeah. So, clearly the metrics really don't like them. The they're metrics project- don't,
1: but you know they're going to get hyped up by
0: the preseason pulls are coming in. Miami's going to be top 25 somehow.
1: Who do they open with?
0: They open with Temple
1: and oh Quincy
0: Roche. Okay. Um, it, wow, yeah, didn't even realize that. They're projected to lose to Michigan State at Michigan State. Oh, yeah, that game. At, at Wake Forest, home against North Carolina. It's 50-50 right now between them and Virginia, and then they're supposed to lose three of their next four, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech. So, that's we'll that's, see. That's, that's crazy.
1: FBI has got to be crazy if you're if they're losing to Wake Forest after Jamie Newman loss left and then losing to Sam
0: Hartman is back losing
1: to Florida State after what they've been through. <laughs> I mean, maybe listen,
0: the, look, hey, it's I, preseason. I, yeah. There's a lot of room for growth. It's not even preseason. Methods. It's like pre pre preseason. <laughs> <laughs> It's like season on delay right now. Yeah, it's <laughs> regardless, I'm anytime the FBI comes out, it just makes it feel like football is around the corner. Obviously, we don't know if that's the case, but just looking at Virginia Tech's schedule, I think as a fan, this is a really, really exciting time just to know that I mean, the metrics are usually not in favor of Virginia Tech. Uh, I believe last year was a seven and five season. Uh, the same time around. So having Virginia Tech at 10-2, and we'll see if that happens. Obviously, I think some of the games, you think about Pittsburgh five days after Louisville and you're on the road yet again, you probably have four days in between those two games to actually practice and prepare for a new team, not even counting the fatigue and possible injuries. So that
1: that game, that Louisville game, Virginia Tech better push for it to be a new kick. If that's a... 'Cause that Pittsburgh game at Pitt is on a Friday. Correct. If that's like a 3 30, 7 o'clock kick that finishes up late Saturday night then Plus Tech travel. doesn't doesn't get back to Blacksburg until early in the morning Sunday, I mean I think I've that's a situation where I certainly do not know how these conversations take place and how much sway Whit Babcock would add would have, but like people hate noon games, but that's a classic situation where you got to be like, just give us the dooner. We're back in Blacksburg by five o'clock, six o'clock. And, you know, given what they have coming next Friday, which is Pittsburgh is probably the one team that has terrorized Virginia Tech (laughs) for the last 20 years. I mean, you don't want to do anything to mess with that. So Um, I would, I would say for, if, this is way down the road clearly clearly <laughs> but but if if that louisville game comes out and it's like six o'clock and you're like woo exciting night game kind of thing no 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 no, no. <laughs> that's not that's not good
0: let's transition to jersey numbers my favorite topic <laughs> everybody's favorite <laughs> honestly didn't even know this was a thing check the interwebs today and saw that the ncaa put out a policy where they are allowing the number zero to come back to college football other things were that targeting if you commit targeting you're allowed to stay on the bench instead of being escorted to locker room which i actually think is a great rule you stay with your teammates but yeah jersey numbers big thing zeros allowed so that being said it's going to be implemented for next season I'm sure Virginia Tech is going to assign it. Who would you like to see them assign it to?
1: Uh, so we, Matei and I, spent like maybe ten <laughs> minutes before this call trying to figure out who I was remembering. But there was a defensive tackle who wore number zero. I'm pretty sure he's in college because we looked at all the NFL stuff and couldn't find him. And I can't remember his name, but he looks fantastic. The zeros look great on him. Big old defensive tackle. So I think, I think Mario Kendricks is the guy. In particular because his la- his first name ends in a O, which you can just tweak to a Mario with zero at the end. Um, Great branding. I-, I think it's a no brainer. I think it's got to be Mario Kendricks. Um, I know you have an idea, so I'm going to punt this over to you. Ah,
0: oh, I like what you did there. And by the way. <laughs> By the way, very funny. Um, but if anyone knows who we're trying to reference here, a defensive tackle wearing 0, please message us cuz I, I hate when something uh, slips my mind. I couldn't somebody in
1: the SEC maybe, I feel like I can remember. I, I looked up BJ Raji to see if it was him, but it's not BJ Raji, so onward.
0: So my ideal candidate, drumroll please, Oscar Bradburn. I think he is the perfect guy to break out the zero for Virginia Tech, first of all, because when he punts it, the opponent has zero percent chance of returning. very nice, very nice. and with the same thing with branding, you can make the o into a zero or the Ooh. yeah, the o into a zero. and I just think that being a punter with that much publicity, mostly for me will. <laughs> <laughs> will reap dividends in the future. I think he'll be... You know when like someone gets offered by Virginia Tech and they post pictures of the university and some of the players wearing the uniforms? I think so many people will result in putting Oscar Bradburn with a zero on their... I've just received an offer from Virginia Tech. And They're
1: going to they're choose a punter over a defensive tackle?
0: Just because it looks cool.
1: <laughs> I think... But what we can agree on is that whoever wears the number zero cannot be. You can't just be like the regular, you know, character. You know, you gotta have a little personality. You gotta have a little fun. Like if it's a defense tackle, nobody wants. You know, we we want you to kind of show it off when you get it when you get a sack or something. Or if you're the punter, Oscar's gonna have no problem showing it off. Um, You gotta have a little flair with the if you're gonna work uh, if you're gonna rock
0: the number zero. I think, without a doubt, it can't be a quarterback because that will look very strange. I think running back as nope. well look very strange. Yeah, maybe a tight end that could look cool. James Mitchell running with zero. Again, I would like to see you know a big guy, preferably in the trenches. It can't be offensive lineman. I think they have the rules that say that state they can't wear uh, single digits. But I think defensive lineman sure. Or specialist. I think I'm. I'm. I'm going to go with defensive lineman or specialist sh- should wear zero.
1: Zero is just going to look really funny on a lot of position players. Like I can't see it on like Caleb Farley or right. Jermaine it's just Waller. awkward. It's just awkward. So I, you know, i stick with. It. I think it's got to be Mario Kendricks.
0: <laughs> Let's jump into some of the questions as I'm pulling them up. All right. Our first question is from Kem Hokey, who wants to know, what do you think the ceiling is for justice Reed this year? Assuming the season happens, Doug, I'll let you have the first crack at it.
1: Ceiling. I don't think he, you know, I think the step up in competition probably prevents him from mashing his totals from last year. Um, but I think he's probably an eight to 10 sack kind of guy. Um, which would be pretty huge for regime tech. I, I don't know off the top of my head. It's probably can. that's was closest to the, to those kind of sack totals. Um, but yeah, I think he's an eight, eight to 10 sack kind of guy. If you want to temper your expectations, you know, maybe five to 10 sack, five to seven, five to eight sacks. So um, I think he's around there.
0: I agree with you. I think, Eight sacks is what I'm setting him at. I think double-digit tackles for losses. And I think not all of his success will be defined by his production. I think a lot of it will, and obviously Virginia Tech needs someone to produce on the defensive line. But I think even if he's a problem for the opposing defensive coordinator, that they have to scheme for him, that he's making enough plays, enough pressures on the quarterback, getting to the pocket – and making the quarterback scramble out, maybe for a Taiwan garbit on the other side, to end up with the sack. I think that's a success right there. Um, if he's taking double teams, he frees someone else up. So I think he's honestly going to be a very big force for Virginia Tech, and I'm expecting, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 sacks, uh, probably putting that mark around eight sacks, but I think he just provides so many things uh, with production being the biggest one.
1: I don't think touching on your point, I don't think Penn State was going to be worried about Taiwan Garbett and Emmanuel Baltimore, no matter what happened against Liberty the week before. I do think with Justice Reed, you do have a little bit, a um, little bit more concern there than you've had in a while, which always helps. And I mean, when you're going up, Virginia Tech wants to beat programs like Penn State who've recruited at an enormously high level for a long time, and. That starts in the, at the line of scrimmage, in the trenches, whatever you want to call it. and um, Certainly having better defensive end play going with, you know, they'll have four or five pretty solid defensive tackles, I think helps.
0: Hustle up 43. Have you heard of any f- current players' gains and losses? Anyone in particular? I'm assuming this means weight gains and losses, or strength training. I think it's really tough in the current climate, obviously, with all the gyms closed and a lot of these players finding any means to work out. I know we've seen some videos of of Dax Hollyfield working out with Brock Hoffman, who Dax just cut his hair, which honestly is heartbreaking. But um, I haven't heard of any crazy stories or any uh, notable gains or losses. I think everyone is trying to maintain as best as they can. Um, just staying in shape for now. And I think, you know, obviously a lot of these crazy numbers come from previous seasons when you have the entire off-season or summer to work out at the facilities. And right now, just being stuck in your garage with whatever you can find just isn't producing that. So no one in particular, I would say. Ben
1: Hogarth definitely making his money right now trying to figure out how to put in strength and conditioning Plans for indi- individual players all over the all over the country. Basically, uh, it's one of the underlying themes of this situation is what is lost by you know normally Virginia Tech's players would be on campus from January all the way through. Like they never leave campus, or even there during the summer. Um, working out and all that stuff and now they're now they're not so you talk about a guy like Keshawn king who is such an important player to to add to add muscle there this off season and now you don't know i mean he very well could be could have found a great gym in florida that's he's tacking on weight but but who knows there's no way to really know right now and there, there might not even be a way for the coaches to know how people are doing. Um, so whenever players come back on campus, I think that's, that's like mission critical number one is figuring out where they are physically.
0: Absolutely agree. Uh, jumping over to the next question from Cool Beans 12 Can you do a breakdown of the numbers the staff would like to take by position for the 2021 class? I can give you a rough estimate. Quarterback done with Demetrius Davis. They're only taking one at running back. I believe the plan is to take one could be two. If, if they don't get a top option at wide receiver four to five, I think it's going to be a big class for wide receivers, tight end two ish, maybe three Um, offensive line is usually pretty big four to five defensive ends. I would say three, defensive tackles four, linebackers two, and then this is when it gets interesting. The secondary is going to be massive in this class. They're targeting three cornerbacks, three safeties. So all in all, I don't know the addition of all the numbers I just stated. Obviously, there's a range, and it depends, and it's very flexible depending on what type of players want to commit to Virginia Tech but this class is expecting 25 to 27 overall players. I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: I'm right I'm right with you. Um I do you think there's an interesting just really quickly thing I read today about um the NCAA potentially I think Stuart Mandel wrote it about lifting the scholarship limit depending on where um where your what happened where the seasons played in? like there's just a whole lot like if it's played in the spring theoretically you will also have players who think that they're ready for the nfl decide not to play and not risk that injury so now you gotta you gotta figure out how to replace those that those numbers so something to keep an eye on
0: the next question from hbird 17 hey reed (laughs) exposed what's up reed (laughs) (laughs) Um, <laughs> who is your starting five If the Hokies make a team for the basketball tournament Let's pretend it's going to be played First three off the bench I'll defer this one to Doug
1: I'm going to go I don't know the rules of the basketball tournament On who is eligible to play But I'm going to assume Justin Robinson is eligible to play Then I'm going to go and Dowdell And Ooh Jamon Gordon, we're going to go. Of course. We're going to go small lineup and then we're going to add a little shooting at the four spot with AD Fasio. And then at the center spot, you know, I think I got to. Yeah, I don't know who plays the center spot. <laughs> um, we just talked about how Virginia Tech hasn't tall guys for years. Um, I've been kind to go with. Coleman collins but you know he's getting a little up there and you know he's in his 30s too just like with daldell and gordon so i'm a little worried about age there so maybe we go with like a victor davila or shane henry um Ooh. that's my starting five first three off the bench Oof.
0: wait um, would shane henry come out for eight minutes or two minutes win the tip and then go to the bench theoretically yeah maybe we, yeah Maybe my first guy off the bench is Ty Outlaw to
1: bring a little shooting at the center <laughs> position. Um, I think you got to definitely bring in Med Hill. And then probably Malcolm Delaney is probably how I'm going to round it out.
0: On the bench.
1: You got to motivate him, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> like it. I like it. <laughs> I guess the only omission would be Eric Green, but I don't know if he would play in this tournament. Eric Green but... and Jarrell Eddy. Probably the two guys yeah, forgot. yeah. I mean, for the most part, I think if you're thinking of former Virginia Tech alum that were very successful, that's a pretty powerful squad, honestly. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a De- lot of wiggle room, but definitely a hole ideally, at center. Yeah, but there's always Me. been a hole at center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, JK Man Twelve. What transfer will have the biggest impact next year? Justice Reed, Khalil Herbert, Brock Hoffman, or Rakeem Blackshear? I think
1: I'm torn between Herbert and Blackshear. I'm going to go with Herbert because I think he's going to, as a, as a more experienced, physically developed guy, count what we talked about with Kashawn King there. I think Herbert's going to claim a lot of the carries as the running back. So um, I'm going to go Herbert there. Blackshear is kind of your, you know, your, (laughs) your utility guy of switching between running back and wide receiver, but I don't think he gets as many touches as a Herbert.
0: See, I think that's, that's very fair, but to play devil's advocate here, I'm going to go Reed or Hoffman and I'm torn between those two. I think it's clear that the two biggest priorities of the entire team is running back and and defensive end. But I also think that there's another echelon that the offensive line can take. And I think bringing in a guy like Brock Hoffman, and by the way, he just took a picture with Dalton Keene earlier today. and Keene's listed at six four and some change, and Brock Hoffman seemed to have two inches on him in that photo. So if Brock Hoffman is six foot six, 330 pounds an interior lineman with a mean streak with the leadership with the ability to be the Vance Vice on the field I think that's a major upgrade for the offensive line at the same time Virginia Tech has needed defensive end we've been harping on it this entire episode luckily all four of these guys are supposed to play a huge role and I think they're all here because they're desperately needed I'm going Hoffman out of the four. Wow. I'm surprised. Me too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think if you're going to pick between Reed and Hoffman, the Virginia Tech offensive line without Hoffman is much better than the Virginia Tech defensive line without Reed. So if you're just picking between those two, I would have to go with Reed. However, Herbert is the right answer.
0: All right. All right. <laughs> Hustla 43 to your knowledge. Did the COVID based dead period help or hurt Virginia tech's recruiting? If it hurts, would our class be rated higher than it is now? This is a tough one because I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. I think in the case of Latrell Neville, it helped Virginia tech, uh, being that he never visited the university. um, And I think, you know, he could have taken other visits during that time um, and established a relationship with other programs, but instead devoted his time to Virginia Tech, really got to know them and then felt comfortable committing. Then on the flip side, you see a guy like Philip Riley, and I wouldn't say it necessarily hurts Virginia Tech, but, you know, a guy that maybe would have jumped on the boat early if he could have visited and just reassured himself and his family um, but instead with the uncertainty of this dead period that he can't really do anything at the moment, so he's kind of just in flux.
1: I think it hurt Virginia Tech in that like these re- they've clearly developed really good relationships with a lot of people, but they those relationships didn't happen because of the coronavirus. They would have happened regardless i don't think they suddenly started developing relationships with these people because there was a pandemic going on i think what they lost out on was three weeks of spring practice visits a huge spring game weekend and then we'll see june 19th was supposed to be the huge official visit weekend for a lot of people so i think in that sense getting people on campus like you talked about it it hurts but i also don't think like People are making decisions against Virginia Tech because of the coronavirus, because it's doing the same thing at every school. So it's kind of like it like it feels like with, you know, guys like Neville and 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 Philip Riley, like if they had an opportunity to as good as those relationships seem, if they had an opportunity to get on campus, they would have closed and gotten that commitment, which means it hurts them. But I don't think. It hurts them that bad because they can't really commit anywhere else because it's the same situation. I guess, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Next question from Hokies R Uno. Got it right this time. As a Virginia Tech writer, you probably try to stay as neutral and logical as you can. Since you started writing, when is the time you've acted most like an irrational fan, positive or negative?
1: Okay, before we start, I've got 7% on this iPad, so I'll keep an eye on it. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, so this is, a, <laughs> this is a funny question. We were talking about it before we started. Uh, <laughs> but this has <laughs> happened. Um, and my one that stands out was in 2009. So I started writing at Hokie Haven the Rivals site in 2007, which was Tyrod's first year. 2009, Virginia Tech was playing Alabama to open the year in the Georgia Dome. (laughs) And all August, we heard about how good Virginia Tech's wide receiver core looked, and that was Jarrett Boykin as a sophomore, Danny Cole as a sophomore, Xavier Boyce. There is like... Four or five, like you know, good prospects as wide receivers. Um, so I wrote my game preview where I compared <laughs> positions who had the advantage at each position, <laughs> and went wide receivers. Bought the Kool Aid of how good Virginia Tech's wide receivers are going to be. Meanwhile. Alabama on the other side had Julio Jones. <laughs> and I said that Virginia, I said Virginia Tech's wide receivers were gonna be better. And I couldn't find the link. It's somewhere on the internet, but I got roasted by on by an Alabama message board appropriately. <laughs> but that was definitely the 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 moment where I was like, hmm, probably should have thought that one through a little bit. <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. Uh, we, before this podcast, we also promised we wouldn't tell the story until this moment right now. So that is truly incredible. Mine is a little more recently. I'm not proud of this because I've been writing now for going on six years. So I'm kind of used to the old objective and rational takes all the time. But Virginia Tech Duke Sweet 16. It's the furthest that Virginia Tech has ever made it. I don't count the time 70 years ago when the Sweet 16 was the second round. Honestly, it's like a season of what ifs. If Justin Robinson, if Landers Nolly, blah, blah, blah. Chris Clark, right? After the Ahmed Hill miss at the very end from whatever inbound play that was, Virginia Tech loses. I'm at a local bar, okay? Couple brews. Look around. Everyone's hanging their heads. And I'm feeling it too. You know, I'm 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 feeling the energy off all these people in the bar watching this game. Unfortunately, I did not get to cover it, but I go onto Twitter a few hours after that game, and RJ Barrett in the post game press conference is laughing at how Virginia Tech was unable to convert. The very next game, RJ Barrett misses a free throw that would have sent them past Michigan State. And you bet, I did not forget that moment <laughs> that R.J. Barrett was slamming Virginia Tech. And I could have just looked past it. Instead, I decided to take it to Twitter, which I shouldn't have done. <laughs> got, got thousands of likes on it, which was awesome. But nice. I was nice. so bad about it because it was clearly such a biased take. Just <laughs> a- explaining that R.J. Barrett should not be... Uh, diminishing virginia tech if he can't back up his own words it was not it was not a great scene for me a couple people called me out i was very embarrassed by it um and honestly it's probably my biggest regret is lashing out like that and especially seeing people retweeted and tagging rj barrett because i didn't want any harm to go to him but just in the moment you know after that game that virginia tech game just it got to me and then what happened to RJ Barrett in June? And then RJ Barrett blocked. No, he didn't. <laughs> he probably didn't even see it, but did he did he get drafted by anybody? The New York Knicks, which I proudly <laughs> follow. <Yes. laughs> yeah. So now I'm a supporter of RJ <laughs> and want him to pan out, but honestly the Knicks will never pan out. So, all right, let's jump into some more Um, we have to rapid fire some of these before your iPad dies.
1: I am doing the best I can over here. WSAJ
0: 1992. Who has the higher potential Waller or Connor?
1: I like Waller. I think he's got a true position. I don't know where Connor plays long-term. Um, I think it's Waller as a cover corner.
0: I like Connor. Playing devil's advocate yet again. Support him throughout all our podcasts last season. Led the team in sacks. Had multiple tackles for loss. I believe double digits. Couple forced fumbles. Interceptions. I think he's a guy that makes plays all over the field. Like you said, who knows if the whip position is going to exist in the Justin Hamilton era or if he'll be converted to a linebacker or, you know, a strong safety. I don't know what it'll be, but I think when you have a talent like that, that makes plays in multiple different aspects of the defense. I think it's exciting to watch. And I think he has a lot of potential because he does so many things. Whereas I think Waller don't get it twisted an insanely good cover corner. I don't think he has to do all those other things because he's so good at one. So I think in terms of higher potential, I'm going with Connor just because he has a lot more things to improve on. Nice rapid fire answer. (laughs) sorry about that all right (laughs) mcgrady ming our houston guy who will be number two in reception yards mitchell robinson payout or other
1: uh i think it's robinson by far um 31 catches as a freshman in the slot sounds like he's gonna be playing a little bit of slot and outside receiver whenever we play um so i think it's definitely robinson
0: yeah, I was going to go Robinson, but to disagree, to keep on disagreeing <laughs> with you, I'm going to go James Mitchell here. I think he's going to be pushed out to wide receiver a lot, and I think that you look at the production of Damon Hazleton, Trey Turner, I mean, they just produce at outside wide receivers, so I'm going with him. Kenny Powers, 2014. What does the running back rotation look like?
1: I think it's Herbert and King with like a marginal amount of Marco Lee factored in, but I think it's mostly Herbert and King, and like 55, 45 Herbert, six, 60% Herbert. Um, we'll see. But I think it's if you're going to look for a majority ball, care, ball carrier running back, I think Herbert's the favorite.
0: Yeah, I think a little bit of Blackshear sprinkled in, but he's going to find his way at multiple positions. T. Osso. One, five, six, seven, seven, eight. Exactly how many total silent commits are there currently that the staff is waiting to be announced publicly? There is roughly seven right now. Whoa, seven. A lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot. There's a lot. So any day, anytime I see Alec Bryant before this podcast tweeting out Hokie Nation start jumping, <laughs> I don't know which of the seven is supposed to commit because they all have different timelines, but there's a lot of good news coming and it's really exciting. Diggity dank. Over under four. Texas commits this recruiting cycle. And does Bo get poached within a year? I'm going under four. I think it'll be Davis, Neville, Watson, if I had to guess. That would be three. And Bo getting poached? Honestly, I don't know. I don't think so. I think he stays here for a while longer, but you never know. I
1: think... I'm gonna go with a push. I'm gonna go right at four. I think they'll snag somebody else in addition to those three. And if you don't want to get Bo, if you don't want Bo to get poached, it's time to join the Hokie club. <laughs> I know I know it's a terrible time to pitch that, but um, if you don't want them to get poached, they're gonna need some more dough. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't think Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech TCU or Houston are going to let him continue to have that success without making them an offer. So.
0: All right. There's a few questions about Philip Riley. Honestly, I wish we could have had better news for tomorrow, but he's delaying his commitment. Um, The quick VT, how many silence do we have answered? How many commits go public before the end of April? Uh, I said the class would be at 10 by the end of April. Uh, I still think that's a possibility. Um, but honestly, who knows at this point? I think a lot of guys are adjusting their timelines. But good news will be coming soon. Don't worry. What is the timeline for the rest? A lot of commitments will be in the boat before hopefully the next season starts. Praying that it starts. Will you ever issue a crystal ball pick before Evan does? It's a
1: good question. It's a really good question.
0: I had a chance for <laughs> for Philip Riley, and I spent... <laughs> you're glad you had all. i had a chance for philip riley and i started messaging or started responding to messages on the message board and all of a sudden evan snuck one in there and he knew (laughs) he knew i was coming he knew i was gonna put it in so probably not um evan is the almighty leader of our site so he gets priority uh over under eight and a half four stars in this class that's a lot of four stars i think um Depends how the rankings will ultimately shake out. I think, you know, Tyus Martin's a guy that could be a four star. Um, There's other prospects out there that Virginia Tech's after that are currently three stars and could be four stars. Long winded answer short, I'm going to say under. I'm going to go seven to eight, four stars. I like Uh, seven. Seven it is. What do we need to do to get Lee in this class? I think he'll be very interested if all these silence end up panning out, if they all, you know, get in the boat before the season starts. But I think we've talked about it before. Virginia Tech has to have a really successful season next year. I think if all these silence come into the fold, I think if Virginia Tech ultimately ends up 10-2 and 2 and in the national discussion, I think Lee will take a very long, hard look at Virginia Tech. He has so many connections. I think um, at this point, it's you know Virginia Tech and Clemson, leaning heavily towards Clemson right now. Um, and then the last question: Who's your favorite favorite offered recruit? Do you have one, Doug?
1: Does offered count as a committed or is? Yeah,
0: sure, sure. That technically offered. Yeah,
1: uh, it's. A- that's true. I think it's Demetrius Davis or Amari Huggins, Bruce.
0: I do, I do love me some Amari Huggins, Bruce. I would say Jordan Dingle, out of Kentucky, tight end. I think Virginia Tech really desperately wants to get a tight end on board, and I think Dingle is a guy that is a bit like James Mitchell, two thirty five, can kind of play out wide. Um, I think he's very versatile. And I think he can play a bit of H-back, kind of like Dalton Keene did. So I'm going with him. I just think H-back is such a big, important role for Fuente's offense.
1: I've got 1%
0: left. 1%. we got we yeah. to <laughs> run through. Casby, why do you hate me? Quick side story, I went off on him on Twitter. Casby, I do not hate you. <laughs> this is because after the Justice Reed <laughs> announcement, a lot of other people outside of Casby were saying that... Um, It was too hyped up, and I take fault in some of that. I think he's a tremendous piece, but maybe I could have toned it down a little bit. I took it all out on Casby. Casby, if you're listening to this, I sincerely apologize. You're one of the good ones. I respect your opinions and everything. Yes, sorry for that. Is Casby R.J. Barrett? I hope he's not (laughs) R.J. Barrett, because then we'd have a lot of beef. (laughs) Our last question here. Outside the shift to larger defensive linemen, what other defensive changes do you foresee in 2020 with the new staff?
1: I think we're going to see a lot of
0: Amari Barrow. Lovely. I think uh, defensive changes, different formations, not going to run the same base all the time. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is going to run maybe more of a 4-3 traditional look with three linebackers all the time and putting that third guy in different spots. But Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more flexible. Um, But that'll do it for the questions. Doug, you got anything to add with your 1%? I got
1: 1% left, so I might get cut off at any time. But I have nothing else to add. Um, So we're good to wrap
0: this up. (laughs) All right. To everyone else listening, sorry we had to rapid fire through the end there. But we hope you stay safe, and we'll see you guys soon. And
1: let you out
0: into the world. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes, I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes!